we're going to sing about something, so if we are, we might as well sing about the goodness of God. Amen. Amen. His goodness is running after us. God is good. All the time. time. Let's pray together. Father, we are absolutely immersed in your goodness today. Your love is inescapable. It's unconditional, Lord. We thank you that uh, you love us no matter what. And we pray, God, you would teach us that kind of love because the world needs it. Maybe the world has never needed it more than it needs it now. And Lord, I pray that you would make us your conduit, that we would not be a holding tank of your blessings, Lord, but we would be a river. And that as your love flows into us, that love would flow. Lord, like that beautiful river we read about in Ezekiel and in the book of Revelation, and out of the throne of God, the river flows, and everywhere it goes, there are trees, and it brings life, and it brings healing to the nations, Lord. And we believe we're part of that river. We didn't start it, Lord, but you let us get in it. And now, Lord, we pray, immersed in your love, that we would be the presence of Christ everywhere we go this week, that something about our countenance, something about our hearts would say to the world, there really is hope, and that hope is found uniquely in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Thank you, God, for grace. Thank you for new mercies every day. Yet this we call to mind, and therefore we have hope. Because of your great love, we are not consumed. Your compassions never fail. Your mercies are new every day. And God, thank you for baptizing us into that love, that mercy, that grace. We thank you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Please be seated. I noticed on the, I noticed on the front seat of my car was a book I picked up this week. I read it years ago. It was by Philip Yancey. And Philip Yancey, who's written some great books like What's So Amazing About Grace and a book about prayer and uh, just some amazing books. But this book was called Church, Why Bother? It's an interesting title for a Christian writer to write about a book, but he must have been encountering some people like that. Unless I miss my guess, you've run into people too who say to you, why bother with church? Why even be involved in that? What, what difference does it make to be a part of a community? And in the book, he, he actually looks at some of the neuropsychological work that's been done. Uh, a psychologist from Harvard I met years ago named George Valiant. That's how he pronounces his last name. And he said what he had learned in his work studying the human mind is that the one thing that really matters in life is relationships to other people. Now, I would add to that. I think there are other things that matter in life. But I think he's right about that, that one of the most important things is relationships with other people. He also quotes Daniel Goleman, who has done other neurobiological research. And what he says is, the thing that he's learned, the most fundamental revelation of neurobiology is that we are wired to connect. In other words, neuroscience, scientists have studied our brains and this is what they found, that our brain's very design makes it sociable, inexorably drawn into an intimate brain-to-brain link-up whenever we engage with another person. I bring you good news today. It turns out that in the Christian life as in life, when we're born again, we're born into a family. 
and that that family, members of one body, we, as we said last week, belong to each other. Here's Yancey's answer to the question, why bother with church? Why? Because in the church, we find the community that we've been looking for our whole lives. Would you open your Bibles with me? Romans chapter 12, verses nine to 16. We saw that we're interdependent and this interdependence means that we worship together. That was two weeks ago. We serve together and today we love together. Romans chapter 12, verses nine to 16. Uh, the, The rest of this passage through verse 21 talks about how we love people who aren't very loving to us. It's an important subject, I think. We'll look at it in the weeks to come. But let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord today. We are declaring our interdependence. We wanna put authentic love into action. Listen to what Paul says. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. See, Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome. It's probably his most famous letter, right? comes at the first of all of his letters. It's certainly the longest letter. Uh, More has been written about it, said about it, probably than any of Paul's other letters. It turns out he had friends in Rome. And in fact, he doesn't even say their names at the beginning of the letter like you and I would. But in chapter 16, he starts talking about them. It turns out the person who was entrusted for the first time with the letter to the Romans was a lady named Phoebe. She was the messenger. The newest translations of of the scriptures uh, take that word at face value. It says, Phoebe, a servant in the church in Sincrea. Um, If you'll notice in the new NIV, and scholars have different opinions about this, but it says, a deaconess in the church at Sincrea. And Paul says she was a sister, she was a servant, she was a saint. She's been a benefactor to me and she's been a benefactor to many people and she was the person, she was the male person, if you will, the, the, the letter carrier who took the letter of the book of Romans that we have to the church in Rome. The good news is when she gets there, she runs into lots of people who know Paul. So for instance, in that church were Priscilla and Aquila whom Paul had come to know in Corinth and whom he had shared life and ministry with. There were twin sisters there, we think, named Tryphena and Tryphosa. Rufus's mom was there, and Paul said, "Uh, greet Rufus's mom, Eponidas. She's been a mom to me too. 
Paul has relationships with people in Rome, though he himself has not yet been there, and he wants to get there, so he writes this letter to them, and of course, the first 11 chapters, and you know the Roman road, I mean, it's uh, four separate verses that have been um, taken from the book of Romans to say, this is how you get to know God, but I wonder, I mean, my mom told me the Roman road on the third floor of an apartment in a little town uh, called Schrobach in Germany, and I went and knelt beside my bed and prayed and invited Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. The Roman road is, is very important. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. Uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Roman road. Here's my question. Where's the Roman road lead? Melanie and I years ago went to Rome uh, with Casey and I wanted to go out to the Appian Way because it's one of the roads that's mentioned in the Bible. Paul came up the Appian Way from the three taverns uh, when he landed and walked up to Rome. And I'm telling you, that same road made out of black basalt stones is still there. And we were walking on the road where Paul walked. If you wonder, where exactly does the Roman road lead? If you believe in Jesus and you follow him as your Lord and Savior and you get baptized, where does that lead? And the, the answer is chapter 12. It leads to giving your life back to God as a life of worship, as a living sacrifice. It means taking the good gifts that God has given you, we said last week, and putting them to work in the body of Christ, using your spiritual gifts and then we come to verses 9 to 21. It turns out the Roman road leads straight to love every time. It leads us to love each other well, and it leads us even to love those people who would persecute us or who would be unkind to us. And Paul starts with loving each other, I assume, because that's a little bit easier to begin with. It turns out, I don't know about you, but I'm a novice, I'm an amateur in this business of loving other people. Just when I think I've got this down, I figure out again, ooh, there's work to do there, Lord. The Holy Spirit is still forming me, trying to make me like Jesus. It takes a lot of work to take a person like me and make me like Jesus. I mean, it's a lifelong project, but God is relentless in this. And what he's trying to do is teach us to love. And it turns out we live in this world, as Cornelius Plantinga says, where the shalom, the peace of God, has been vandalized. I don't think you have to look hard these days to see that. There's just so much disruption, so much animosity, so much polarization. You're a this or you're a that, and people are angry at each other, and if you disagree with somebody, they get demonized. It's kind of a crazy world that we live in. But the good news is God has an answer for that. In his shalom, in his love, in the reconciling power of Christ who reconciled us to God, we can actually be reconciled to each other. Uh, my friend Elizabeth Hankins, who serves with us here, uh, who works a lot of days in East Africa trying to, to bring peace in those countries there in East Africa. She said years ago, and I came across this this week, uh, to arrive at the wholeness and well-being entailed in the shalom of God means relationship with ourselves, with others, with all that is created and with our creator and those things are, those things, all those relationships are set right. I thought about that this week and I thought, 
as your pastor for the last 23 years, if you ask me, what do I want Tallawood to be known for? Here it is. If we're gonna be known for something, let it be that we are a church that loves authentically, that we're not playing games, that we're not insincere, that we're not disingenuous with people, that we don't have you know, some sort of ax that we're trying to grind. What we're trying to do is love God and love each other well. And that's hard work, as we know. And so he says two or three things about love here. He says more than that. In fact, I read one commentator and he said, there are 70 thoughts contained in these 14 verses. That comes to five thoughts per verse on average. There are five different thoughts in each verse. And I'm just, I always say to my homiletic students, just bring it down to one thing. Here's the one thing, love. Love authentically. Love by acting. Do something. Love does, as Bob Goff says in his book. The first thing I would notice is that love is sincere. The word he uses is love is unhypocritical. That's the Greek word, unhypocritical. A hypocrites, a hypocrite in the first century, was an actor in a drama who wore a mask so that they could play the part. But when they took the mask off, they weren't the part that they were playing. So a hypocritical person would be a person who is trying to pretend to be something that they are not. And he says, God's love is not like that. It is sincere. The Latin word, interestingly, is sin without sera wax, without wax. Because people used to sell vases, and if it had a crack in the vase, it wouldn't sell. And so what they would do is they would put wax in the vase, and then they would paint over it, and it looked like it was perfect. But when you heated up the vase to cook something, uh, it would just break because there was wax there holding it together, sincera meant without wax. So again, not pretending to be something that we're not. And this is the challenge. And I hear people say all the time, well, there's so many hypocrites in the church. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a lot of hypocrites in the culture too. I mean, just a lot of people pretending to be something that they're not. And I would just say, this is a place where our love should be sincere. Uh, I, I gather that when John Charles Thomas, the singer, he went on a tour visiting churches for three years. I hope he didn't visit Tallowood. I'm pretty sure he didn't visit Tallowood. But he wrote to, to dear Abby, Abigail uh, Myers, when he was, she was a columnist, and he wrote to her and he said, I'm finishing the second year of my tour of churches. On, I'm looking for hospitality. He said, to date I visited 195 churches. And in those 195 church visits, only one person has spoken to me out of 195 visits. And what they said to me was, can you please move your feet? This is not good. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping this is, he didn't visit Tallowood, surely. The point is that when we see people, just this morning, no kidding, in the first service, I saw a person I'd never met, and I just stopped and said, hi, I'm Dwayne, I should know your name, and we visited for a second. And he just, I was, you know, I was just greeting people. And as I was walking away, he said, I needed somebody to do that this morning. You have no idea how much I needed somebody to say something to me today. And I wondered how many people, not just in church, but pass by us who are desperately needing human contact. I mean, maybe now more than ever, we need to see each other, to talk to each other, to engage each other. William Barclay said the Christian church is not this collection of acquaintances. It's not even a gathering of friends. It's a family in God. As Eugene Peterson translates this in the message, listen to the way he puts it. I think he has a way with words. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Amen to that. 
Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert. Servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. So he uses a couple words here. I call it love and the key of H. So in these two verses, verses nine and 10, he uses the word hate, which is interesting because we think of it as the opposite of love. But to really love is not to hate somebody who's evil, but it is to hate the evil that we see in the world. Um, Robert Louis Stevenson, the author, saw somebody who was harming another and he literally bit through his lip because he was just... It just bothered him so much. We should be bothered about evil in our world that the shalom, we don't have to look around far, Cornelius Plantinga says, to realize things are not the way they ought to be. Things need to be set right. So we cling for dear life to what is good. The other word he uses there, he kind of exhausts the Greek language for love here. I was reading C.S. Lewis's little book, Four Loves. It's an easy read, but he talks about the four different Greek words for love. And Paul uses some of them here. The only one he doesn't use is eros. So agape is unhypocritical. That's the first statement he makes. Then he says, be devoted to one another in love. Those are two different words. Philostorgia is the love a parent has for a child. So if you were watching these parents who dedicated their babies this morning, the way they look at their babies, that's philostorgia. And that's the word that Paul uses to say, be devoted to one another. It's like, just like these babies belong to these families, we belong to each other. I have to tell you, I saw philostorgia this morning early. It was still dark outside. Uh, our, our, it's been a very interesting weekend. Our uh, younger son, his wife and daughter are already up in Little Rock. So um, he decided that we would you know, pack up all his stuff. His father-in-law flew down to drive the truck. And there's this huge, if you drove down my street this morning, you saw it, this enormous truck. And his father-in-law said, this is gonna be great. Aren't we gonna get to know each other? Just think, Chase, me, you, your dad, we could go into the moving business together. It turns out I'm not really good at this stuff, but we got, we got, the, we got the stuff loaded and we, we got it all. And then, this is the third time I've watched this happen. Every time Chase drives away, a little piece of Melanie's heart, I'm telling you, watching her say goodbye to him, Philostorgia, I mean, the look on her face was, I love you no matter what. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. I will never, ever, from the moment he was born till this moment when he's almost 29 years old, his mom loves him with a love that will not let him go. And Paul says, love each other like that. Love each other with a love that will not let go. Love each other, he uses another word, with Philadelphia. So be devoted to each other, Philostorgia, with Philadelphia, love for brothers and sisters. And he says, th that kind of love honors people. It turns out that if we look closely, there's so much honor, there's so much value. Why? Because every person we know is created in the image of God. And this has been a weekend where we thought about honor. I was thinking that story of Todd Beamer. We traveled with friends some years ago to that field where there's a monument outside of Shanksville in, in Pennsylvania where uh, Flight 93 crashed on 9-11. And Todd Beamer 
taking matters into his own hands and saying, let's roll. But before that, he's talking. Did you read that transcript? He's talking with this woman on the phone. He's talking with somebody, I guess, from the FBI or somebody, and they're, they're talking on the phone. And he says, hey, before I go and try to save our lives, would you just pray with me? And they pray the Lord's Prayer. And then he says Psalm 23. Why? Because in that moment, this man who loved God, that gave him the strength to do what he believed he needed to do to try to save the lives of people. And there is, can we just agree? We can agree on this together today. There was honor in that. So we honor people like that. I thought about Jimmy O'Quinn, who's got that new grandson, and he posts a picture on Facebook this weekend of the memorial tree. I had forgotten about that, that there was a tree that survived the Twin Towers falling. They had to replant it, and it's thriving. That's a picture of it today. And that memorial tree is a reminder that even when towers are falling and people are are killing other people and, and death is happening, that life somehow manages to survive. That is a monument to love. And I looked at that tree, and I couldn't help but think about the church. It's been a tough year and a half and and there are pundits out there who are just convinced the church is going to go away someday because we're just not going to survive all that's going on. And I said to a guy the other day, I said, so 2,000 years ago there were a lot of people betting against the church and it turns out that was a really bad bet because we're still here and we're going to be here and your presence this morning is a reminder that love wins that love survives, that love finds a way, sincere love. The second thing I note is a spiritual love when he says keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Don't don't lose your zeal, he says, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. One translation, interestingly, says keep your warm glow. It's really not strong enough, I'll tell you why. Because in Greek, I read it this week again, the words are, boiling in the spirit, be on fire. It's actually used of Apollos in the book of Acts. Remember, he was just on fire and everybody knew he was on fire. And you may remember a time when you were on fire, when you couldn't do enough for God, when you were just all in, in love with him. And the challenge is that we sometimes, like a coal that's removed from a charcoal fire, we lose our temperature when we're not sharing together we need each other and so another in the key of h love is about heat it's about spiritual warmth and i I remember years ago chuck swindoll and and gary helped me find this and and recreate it but chuck swindoll years ago said he walked into a home on a cold day and there was a, a fire in the fireplace and there was a simple sign over the fireplace and it said if your heart is cold my fire can't warm it i mean A fireplace can't help you when your heart gets cold. And this is what Jesus predicted. Remember Jesus' words? He said, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. Don't let that happen to you. And you say, well, how am I going to avoid that? Well, together we encourage each other. I cannot tell you, just seeing you this morning, looking into your eyes is a reminder to me that we're not in this alone, that the grace of God is with us, that his power is making a difference. And then he had, in that beautiful verse, is it verse 12 there where he says, uh, you know, he talks about hope and he talks about um, 
endurance and he talks about faith, uh, he says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. This is who God's people are. We are joyful in our hope. We hold on to hope. I, I, I noticed uh, in Kinley's name, her middle name is Hope, and I thought, mm, I love hope. I love hope. I used to pastor a church that was called New Hope. They started the church right after the Civil War, and I think they called it New Hope because the world needed hope. I think this is one of those times where we need hope. Hold on as you hold on Hope will hold on to you as you hope in the Lord. Endure well the affliction of life. That's the word. Uh, be patient in affliction is literally the word hupomeno. Stay under. We don't have a choice, do we? The affliction is just kind of all around us and we stay under. And then he says, be faithful in prayer. I love this quote, another Philip Yancey book, his book about prayer. He quotes Helmut Thielicke, a German theologian, who said, the globe itself, the world we live in, lives and is upheld as by atlas arms through the prayers of those whose love has not grown cold. The world itself lives by these uplifted hands and by nothing else. People whose hearts have not grown cold lift their hands in prayer. It's sincere love, it's spiritual love, and finally, it's shareable love. And I'm not even sure shareable is a word, but everybody uses it on Facebook. Will you make that? shareable. And so I'm, I'm just coining it from, from Facebook today. Uh, the church is a sharing community. How so? He says we share hospitality. Look, I'm in kindergarten in the school of hospitality, and some of you have graduate degrees. I have seen you open your home, open your table. Again, I love our new worship service that Sean Boyd has, has started once a month for our young adults called The Table because it just has that idea of there's a place for you here. There's a place for you at our table. Somebody said FEMA measures how bad an area is by whether or not the Waffle Houses close. Um, you know, talk about South Louisiana right now, and they call it uninhabitable. And so FEMA goes in. If the Waffle Houses are closed, it's really bad. I was driving last night to a pharmacy um, twice, <laughs> uh, and you know, this, my pharmacy was closed. Twenty-four hour pharmacy for a family member. I'm I'm driving to a pharmacy. I go to drop off the prescriptions. I drive back to pick up the prescriptions, and I was just thinking, you know. I saw a Waffle House there, and I was like, Waffle House is still open. They have a motto. Sean Shannon told me this: We don't serve pancakes. We serve people. So look, I'm all about truth. I'm all about teaching the Bible. You know me. I'm, I'm just unpacking it for you this morning. But the point of it all is to love people, to love people in Jesus' name. Yes, speak truth, but speak truth in Jesus' name. You know, years ago, Jimmy Carter was on one of those missions down to Cuba, and while he was there, he watched a, a Baptist pastor in Cuba who was sharing Christ with somebody else, and he kind of commended him. He said, man, I'm trying to figure you out. And Eloy Cruz, that pastor, said to President uh, J Jimmy Carter, former President Jimmy Carter, Senior Jimmy, we only need to have two loves in our lives, for God and for the person who happens to be in front of us at any time. We share in, in, we share in hospitality. Love the person, you say, who am I gonna love today? Just whoever's in front of you, just start there. Love that person, and we share in this hospitality, we open our hearts and our homes. It's hard right now, I know. Hospitality is even hard, it's hard to know. Does this person really want me to engage with them? Do they really want me to talk with them right now? A lot of people are, are, are frightened, it's a very difficult time. We live in the house of love, not the house of fear, and we're gonna err on the side of love. We're gonna love people respectfully, 
love people. Second, he says, we share in harmony. That word literally means think the same thing with each other. Paul uses that same expression in his letter to the Philippians in, in, at the beginning of chapter two. Think the same thing. Have the same mind. Share in harmony. Harmony is beautiful when it comes together, when different people are singing parts. I was watching our orchestra this morning. I, I'm not a musician. I'm an admirer of music. I'm an, I'm an appreciator of music. I'm not a musician. But I was watching our orchestra play this morning, and these violins are playing, and these, you know, and, 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 and the cello, and then our, our band playing together this morning. And just looking at the expressions on their face, I get the feeling they're worshiping while they're playing, right? Because there's worship in harmony. So back to Yancey's book as we close out this morning. And Philip Yancey, in that book, at the end of the book, on the last page, he tells the story of the Milpitas County High School Orchestra. So it's a small county high school, and they've got an orchestra. And their director comes in one year and says, hey, we're going to play great music this year. And they said, well, what are we going to play? And he said, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Now, this doesn't mean a lot to me, but to some of you, that's like, oh, Beethoven's Ninth. That is seriously hard. Like the Boston Philharmonic would have a hard time getting it right. Great composer, Ludwig von Beethoven. It's his great work. It's the hardest work. And here's this. Imagine the audacity of this little uh, small town county high school saying, our orchestra is going to play Beethoven's Ninth. And to quote uh, Philip Yancey and the person who originally told the story, actually hearing them play it was a bit painful. They didn't get all the notes right. It's very difficult music and somebody could ask about that little orchestra playing that great music. Why bother? I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's over here. Ludwig is literally rolling over in his grave. The music is so bad, but you're trying to play it. And why, why even bother? Why even try something like that? And F Philip Yancey's answer was because some people in the world would never have heard Beethoven's Ninth without that county orchestra doing their best, playing their parts, practicing hard to do it. Was it perfect? No, but it was a, a rendition that introduced a group of people to some of the best music that's ever been written. Apply it to the church. Look, we don't always get it right. We sometimes make mistakes. Sometimes we're left-footed. We're trying hard, and sometimes we don't get it all right. And you might say sometimes, in view of all that Jesus has done for us, does he sometimes look down at his church and go, ah, keep trying, keep practicing, keep working at it. But here's the deal, unless we keep doing what he's called us to do, singing from our hearts, um, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, there are some people who will never know the love of God unless we keep on trying to love each other well. Why, why, why bother with church? Because... The church is the community that people have been looking for their whole lives. I watch people tailgate at football games these days and the community that takes place at those college gatherings and I think that church at its best is like a tailgate for the ages 
And the good news is we have this message and do we always, do we always get it right? Is it always harmonious? No, but we keep working at it, why? Because the world desperately needs for the church to be the church. Because when we're not the church, nobody else is in this business. We're the ones to whom Christ has entrusted his message. So it's, it's harmony, it's, it's hospitality, it's sharing our lives together with sincere love, with spiritual love, with shareable love. My wife tells me all the time, she says, you, you gotta be careful what you write. You gotta be careful what you say. And the last couple of weeks have been reminders of that because remember I went off to preach at the cowboy camp and I told the story about cufflinks. Suffice it to say, I will never ever run out of cufflinks again. People brought me all of their old cufflinks. Pastor, you need cufflinks, we have, I have so many cufflinks right now, I'll never wear them in a lifetime. I mean, it's great, I mean, I don't know, I mean, it's just beautiful the way. I didn't say cufflinks so you would give me cufflinks, I was illustrating a story. So this week, I noticed people were getting hacked on Facebook. And usually it's me getting hacked, and somebody in my name will write to one of my staff members or one of you and say, hey, could you uh, go get some gift cards at Walmart and send me the numbers? This, you know, look, I just, I'm just gonna tell you again. If you get a message from me asking you for money, you know it's a hack. You know it's a hack. But just to be funny, on Facebook, I said, if you get a message asking for money from me, it's a hack. But if you get a message from me asking for gummy bears, that's real. That's me. That's really me, because I'm the kind of person who would ask you for gummy bears. Folks, I am buried in bears. I got bears running out my ears. People, you all, this, Melanie said, be careful what you say. You're making a joke, and people are like, the pastor needs gummy bears. Look, I love the way you share. I love the way you love, and I love being your pastor, and I love that you're my people, and I just wanna say, the work's not done yet, and this is, if they know anything about us in Houston, let them say this, that is a church that loves, that has kept their fire for God. That's a church that shares life. Be a life-giving church. It's the least we can do, because God has so freely given life to us. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for giving us life. We stand in awe of you, Lord. We didn't deserve it. We, we, we can't say, oh, of course, God would love somebody like us. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, we thank you for finding a way to find us. And Lord, we realize we live in a broken world. There's a lot of hostility. I pray that we will exchange hospitality for hostility every time. Anytime somebody's hostile to us, Lord, may we be hospitable to them. Teach us to love. And Lord, help us to just start right here in this room with the people who are in front of us to love each other well because we all need to be loved. And I thank you for the love we found in Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.